Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, the founder of Influencer Marketing and Branded Content Agency, Hollywood Branded. This podcast provides brand marketers a learning platform for top experts to share their insights and knowledge on topics which make a direct impact on your business today. While it is impossible to be well-versed on every topic and strategy that can improve bottom line results, my goal is to help you avoid making costly mistakes of time, energy, or money, whether you are doing a DIY approach or hiring an expert to help. Let's begin today's discussion. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacy Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacy Jones. I'm so happy to be here with you all today. I'm going to give a very warm welcome to Anton Crowley, founder and CEO of Dropship Lifestyle and E-Commerce Lifestyle. Since 2013, he's worked with over 10,000 people across the globe to help them learn how to build their own dropshipping stores. Voted Best E-Commerce Course by Shopify in 2018, Dropship Lifestyle is now the top online e-commerce coaching program. Anton and his team are constantly researching and testing to discover what works best in digital marketing and e-commerce. Today, we're going to talk about best practices for digital marketing to drive e-commerce businesses, including why Facebook ads shouldn't be your main source of traffic, how to add 30% to your monthly revenue with email marketing campaigns, and how to earn more than your competition. We'll learn what's worked from Anton's experience, what maybe could be avoided, and where people are missing the mark. Anton, welcome. Thank you, Stacey. Happy to be here. I am super happy to have you here. I do not know all that much about drop shipping. So I'm looking forward to learning something that is new and having our listeners be exposed to it. But to start off, can we start getting a little bit more information about you and your background and what got you to where you are today? Sure. Yeah. So I've been building e-commerce stores now since 2007, which is crazy to think about. But um, at that time, I was just out of college and I uh, actually had a, a business. I had bought a business and that was a delivery route for a bakery in Brooklyn, New York. So literally I was 21 years old, had this truck and was driving into Brooklyn every morning, driving to grocery stores, selling cookies, like grocery store to grocery store wholesale. And what got me started with e-commerce was the book, The 4-Hour Workweek. Um, came out had a friend recommend it to me pretty much right away. And there was a couple chapters in it. And one was on e-commerce. And basically, it said anybody could build a store for $29. You don't need to be technical. You don't need to be some you know, coding wizard or anything. And then there was a chapter on, uh, on Google AdWords. So I thought, okay, I have this cookie business. I have access to cookies. Let me make a website and try to sell these things. So I spent about a week doing that, set up Google AdWords. And that was my, that was my foot in the door to e-commerce. I saw that kind of just take off pretty early on and realized I didn't have to drive into Brooklyn anymore for this delivery route. I didn't have to talk to grocery store managers. I could just work on my computer and see orders come in. So quickly after that, I just started to think if I could sell cookies, why can't I sell, you know, couches and why can't I sell desks and why can't I sell, you know, bathtubs, like literally anything and started to get more and more expensive in product ranges. So since 2007, that's what I've been doing, just building more and more stores, selling all different types of products, mostly B2C home goods, but we've done some B2B businesses as well. That's fantastic. And so have you ever gotten to that four hour work week? Have you found that success? Yeah, I I think the the way that I think about it is like, I've gotten to, I mean, I technically, I guess, yes, because if I wanted to, let's say next week, you know, get on a plane and go to Europe, I could talk to my team and say, hey, guys, I'll check in for our meetings Monday and Thursday, and all would be well, right? So I guess technically, yes, but I, um, I think like, at my peak lifestyle design phase, I was still probably working two, three hours a day, but I enjoy what I do. So I didn't see it as like a, a problem at all. But yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not trying to do that. 
that I've never, I've not figured out Tim's success message for yeah. that quite yet, but one day, one day, that four yeah. hours is very highly appealing. Okay. So you've started figuring out how to work smarter versus harder is basically mm-hmm. what you're saying by utilizing e-commerce. Yes. And what made you come up with, you know, the furniture, the ideas of what you're actually selling? Yeah. Well, really what it was is that that first website I built with the the cookies, like as soon as my first Google ads ever got approved. I saw people going to the website, they were placing orders and it really did just click. So like it, it worked and I, I was thinking, okay, I'm having these orders come in, you know, many of them every day. I was starting to get bulk orders and I was thinking like, this is working. So why can't I sell more expensive products? I think my average order value was probably around $20 with the cookies. So I thought, okay, what are more expensive products that I could potentially sell? And originally, I, I don't do this anymore, but what I did back then was go to ebay.com and you could search uh, for anything and sort by completed listings and you could see what products sell. So back then I was going into basically all the top categories and I was looking for completed listings and I was looking for products that sold at buy it now prices. So consistent sales, sales at high prices. And from there I thought, okay, let me try to sell similar things. Um, back then it was before I even knew what drop shipping was. So I actually went online on Google and I think I searched for, you know, maybe where to buy sofas wholesale or something like that. Uh, found Alibaba.com. And back then I was actually importing containers of all these different products from China at first to New Jersey and then eventually to, to California. Um, we would have the products come in, we would have them shipped out. And that's how I was running my businesses for a few years until I found out about this, this drop shipping thing and realized I didn't have to do that anymore. So I have a feeling that a lot of our listeners might not know what drop shipping is. If you mm-hmm. can pull back those curtains and let us yep. all know, because you were manufacturing the cookies, mm-hmm. you were buying the product, but you found a better, smarter way to actually right. sell the product. Yes. So the way that I found out about it and the way it was originally described to me is I had companies reaching out to my websites, my websites where I was selling the products that I was importing. And what they would say is, hey, we see you're selling, again, let's say sofas, and we have sofas, this is our company, you know, do you want to sell our products? And they told me, you don't need to buy them in advance. You don't need to store them in your warehouse. Instead, you can list them on your website. And whenever you get sales, you let us know, we'll charge you wholesale and we'll ship the product direct to your customer. And at first I like, I was kind of unsure of it because it sounds too good to be true. And, um, especially because they were coming to me, but what we did was eventually take, you know, one of these brands on and we started selling their products and it worked. We got sales, they shipped it. We made money based on what we sold it for retail, what we paid it for wholesale. And again, didn't need the product in stock anywhere myself because they had it in stock, didn't need to rent any more fulfillment center space. So once I did see this start to catch on inside of our own businesses, that's when I was like, okay, I could really scale now because I don't need to lay out tons of money to China and I don't need to test products by, again, buying all this stuff in advance. So once that, that's how it was introduced uh, to me and that's still the way that we do it. There are many different ways to drop ship. 
Um, for example, like even back in the eighties where there were a ton of mail order catalogs, you know, and people would just see flip through 200 pages and order stuff. Most of those catalogs never had a warehouse that had those products in stock. They would just take the orders and then they would go to the, you know, the, the brand or the manufacturer and they would say, okay, ship this thing to, to Anton. So, you know, drop shipping is not new. Um, some ways that people do talk about it now that we do not use, um, but they're like the arbitrage model. And what that would mean is, let's just say you wanted to sell a sofa and you saw somebody selling it on eBay for 600. Well, if you made a listing on amazon.com and said, hey, this is $700, and then you sold it and had it shipped from eBay, and you know, that technically is drop shipping too, but that I, I try to like push people away from that as much as possible. Um, also, right now, a lot of people are drop shipping from China directly. I do not recommend that either, but it is drop shipping. The way that works is you would sell a product on your website and then after the order came in, it would be submitted to the factory in China. They would ship it directly there to your customer wherever they are in the world. Um, again, a lot of people are doing that right now, but it's getting more and more negative press the longer it goes on for because packages usually take three weeks or more to arrive. Usually the boxes are just you know all Chinese lettering and the customer doesn't know to expect that. So they're just like, what is this? So that's drop shipping too. Don't recommend that, but they all fall under the same umbrella. And I imagine returns can be a little messy with that too. Big time, big time. Yeah, especially because the way most of those products are sold are through very like hypey marketing and then the people get it. And again, it's not what they were expecting at all, uh, especially even if they remember from three weeks ago. So lots of complaints, lots of refunds, and it's just not really sustainable business model. Yeah, I think that hit the fashion industry in the last few years quite hard where you saw a ton of people on social media talking about the cute little dress that they ordered and then yep. it came like in a size of baby doll. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There was the one, it was um, it was like the red swimsuit and there was a woman wearing that and it basically, it went viral and this company yeah. was getting so, like an insane amount of orders, millions of dollars. And it was like, it came out, it was like these two kids that had no idea what they were doing, you know, and they just, they put it up and some big influence promoted it and just kept getting spread around. So the products can take off like that, but then you really do run into huge issues. So I don't recommend anybody try that. Well, that speaks a lot to the power of influencer marketing at least. It does, no, big time. Yes. Big time. If you have and if you have a good product and you pair that with influencer marketing, then yeah, you're in great shape. Okay. So to more safely do it, how do you find a supplier? How do you go out and say, this is what we are going to do. We've set up a shop. So, mm -hmm. and what are the first steps to even doing that? We really just use Google. So once you, you have a product type, so I'm at a you know, stand-up desk right now. So if I wanted to sell these, I would build a stand-up standupdesksstore.com, whatever it's called. Then I would go on Google and I would type in stand-up desks and I would start looking at all the companies who make them. And then what we do is we still use the phone. We reach out and I'd call them and say, this is Anton from standupdesktore.com. Um, basically, we kind of like frame it almost as you would as if you went on a job interview. So like we call them prepared to talk to them, say, you know, I've been on your website. We really like products X, Y, and Z. They'd be a great fit to our site. Also see that you've been manufacturing these things before anybody else. And we love that, you know, talk about like their company and why we want to work with them. Mm -hmm. And from there, it's pretty much just them saying, okay, we're going to send over a new dealer form. And that's what we would fill out and then send back to them. After that, they send you all the information like product photos, product names, prices, uh, descriptions, specifications, all that information you need to then publish on your store so you can start selling them. You make it sound like everyone 
should be able to have an e-commerce store with it's this. simple but it's real work that's the way i describe it to people like it's not rocket science anybody could do okay. this but it is a business and you do have to put a lot of effort into it especially when you're building that momentum once it's set up it really is like one of those lifestyle businesses where you can spend maybe 30 minutes a day managing it but mm -hmm. you don't just you know stay i'm going to do this then day one that's how it works you got to build up to that not magic no 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 <laughs> so how can, you know, a lot of our listeners are from, you know, the agency or brand, business, corporate world, where can drop shipping actually come in and complement the businesses that they're already in? Mm -hmm. So I've talked to different people about ways they can, they can do this. Um, some people that have like, let's just say electronic music websites, right? There was somebody that I was talking to that has a brand for that. And he was saying like, is there any way I can incorporate this? And I said, you know, definitely. And what I recommended was to reach out to all the different companies that make different speakers that his audience would be interested in. Uh, maybe even like some like starter DJ kits for the segment of the audience that would be interested on that. And what you do then is incorporate it to your current website where you already have, you know, your content, your videos, whatever else you're sending people to. And you simply just add one more link for a store and you could have that built in as an extra revenue channel. Um, the really good thing about it, again, since you're not buying any inventory in advance, you're not like laying out a whole bunch of money and hoping does this work. And if you already do have an existing audience, you can ask them, like, what do you want? What do you buy? Like, what products are you interested in? And from there, you can reach out to the brands that manufacture these things. And you can say, my audience wants this, you know, let's, let's right. get approved. We want to sell your stuff. So that's a big way. Um, also, if like, you know, anyone's listening to this, and their audience isn't on a website, you know, if it's on social, if they have an Instagram following or, you know, YouTube or Facebook, um, you could do a lot of stuff that's pretty creative now through Shopify which is who we use for our e-commerce platform. But you can basically push all of your products to Instagram to make you know Instagram shoppable. You can have your whole product feed uploaded to Facebook so people can see everything right there. So um, you don't, even if you don't have the, webs the website with all the traffic, you could still mix it into your existing platform. That's awesome. And really, you can curate almost anything that you'd want yep. to actually sell. Definitely, 100%. And that's, like, that's the beauty of it. Like You don't have to sell everything. In fact, like I recommend getting as specific as possible with your product types because that really does give you an advantage over a site like Amazon. Like of course Amazon's always going to get as many sales that you know, they're going to take most of the market. But um one thing that we do is try to be like, okay, this is our thing, right? This is our expertise. And then again, let's say with stand-up desks, the whole site would be themed around that. Um you know, the the documentation on the website, the FAQs, the about page, um, the product videos, all of like the buying guides we put out would all be tailored around that product type. And that way, when somebody really was looking to maybe go a little deeper into their research or looking for some helpful advice, then that gives us an advantage over a site that just lists everything and anything. Right. And then you're also not working necessarily with one manufacturer. You're working with multiple on your site. Right. The goal is every manufacturer that has legitimate, you know, good products, you want them. So if there was a hundred stand-up desk companies, I would reach out to a hundred of them and continue to until I got as many approvals as I possibly could. And then what happens if someone orders two different stand-up desks, his and hers? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and because we need his and hers stand-up desks. Mm -hmm. And then if you're getting them from different stores, you have different shipping policies yep. as well. Yes. So typically the way that we'll do like shipping policies is it's manu it is manufacturer based. So we have it on our product pages where it'll, it'll show like in real time. If we know that supplier ABC 
usually can get products to customers within three to seven days. Then on the product page for all of that supplier's products, it would say estimated arrival date and it would have that window. And then if there was, you know, supplier D, which took 10 days, it would say estimated arrival date and have that date out in the future. So if an order came in and it was like that, it was split between two different suppliers. Either way, we would just have them shipped as soon as possible. And the way it works with Shopify is you can enter tracking numbers for the orders. So if product A shipped first, we would enter a tracking number for that. That would be sent to the customer. And then maybe three days later, tracking info would be entered for product B and that would be sent to the customer. Um, you know, it's really never been like a big deal that we've experienced um, issues with because the way I typically describe it is like, sometimes people are worried like, oh, isn't the packaging going to say, you know, the brand name or where it shipped from or something. And it will, but like if you went to, let's just say bestbuy.com and ordered a Sony TV and LG speakers, and then you got two different boxes, you wouldn't be like, what is this? You know, so people understand that we're retailers and they understand they're buying other brand products. That's actually like how we get traffic by using other brand names, product names, SKU numbers, things like that. And then do you, as a customer, would you have to pay for shipping for both products? No. So one thing we also do um, is focus on high-end products. So like our our lowest uh, product price is usually $200. Our average order value is closer to $1,000. And we basically, across the board, offer free shipping on everything, meaning that we pay for it. So we would definitely save money if you know his and hers desks were ordered from the same brand because it would be bundled. So we would just make more money in that order. But typically, we're paying for it regardless. So you're just playing with your margins there. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Very cool. And then how do you market all of this? Which is why you're here today. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Awesome background, by the way. So how do you go about marketing your dropshipping site? So we use a bunch of different channels. My favorite is still uh, on Google ads with Google shopping. And what that is, is if somebody goes to google.com and they type in any product name. It could be like a generic thing like stand-up desks, or it could be like a supplier name, a manufacturer name, or it could be a SKU number or any combination of that. What you'll see on the, the top, sometimes it's right across the top, sometimes it's on the right column, is a bunch of product images. And it'll also show prices for those products, and it will show the product name, um, it'll show the store name, and those are Google Shopping ads. So you pay to be there. What's great about them is they're like everybody that clicks them has intent because again, they see the price, like they know they're going to a store. And what's really great about them is you can set it up so you're only appearing when people are searching for exactly what you're selling. So um, that's why like a lot of our focus is trying to get people, not when they might be interested in, let's just use like a surfboard, right? If somebody wanted a surfboard, I don't want them coming to my website if they're on Google typing in surfboard because what are the chances they're like, you know, credit card in hand, like I'm going to pick one out right now and buy it. So instead we focus on those long names, those long tail keywords, and we get the traffic from Google shopping and it converts really, really well. So typically that's where they come from. From there, we obviously use Facebook in a big way where we're retargeting them and remarketing to them um, on Facebook and on Instagram through Facebook, uh, also through Facebook Messenger and through Google display ads as well. So um, once people find us, we definitely, we stick with them around the internet for a while. 
But you have a very sticky spider web that you cast out. Yes. Yep. And the reason is, you know, our stores, like they, they do very well, but we're not huge names that everybody knows. So mm-hmm. if somebody was just searching for a product and they, maybe they're on their phone, you know, whatever at work and they see our website and they're not ready to buy yet, but they're thinking like, oh, I'm going to buy this thing this weekend. They're just going to go on Google again that weekend and probably search for the product again. And then they like, you know, they, they wouldn't even remember us. So once we have them, if we know they found us by searching again for something specific, then we definitely do invest into making sure they don't forget about us and they can come back when they're ready. That's awesome. And then with that as well, what are you doing where, you know, when you're Google shopping and you mm-hmm. have the brand name and you know the his desk that you want versus yep. the you know, how are you being price competitive? Because yep. everyone out there can just be like, okay, I'm $5 less. Well, I'm $10 yep. less. And that is a problem. So one of the big things we look for when we're making new deals with different suppliers and brands is if they enforce pricing policies. So there's something known as MAP and it stands for minimum advertised price. And, um, you know, big companies have this, some small companies have it, but like there's map, let's, for example, on iPhones. So if you wanted to buy a new iPhone without a contract and you went to AT&T and then you went to Best Buy and then you went to Verizon and then you went to Target, it would be the same price everywhere. And that's not by chance. It's because, you know, Apple says like, hey, if you're going to sell our stuff, this is minimum advertised price and everybody has to adhere to that. The benefit of it from like, in this case, Apple's side is that it protects their brand value because AT&T can't be like, whatever, we'll do a loss leader and sell it for 500. And it also, um, like it, it prevents really unfair competition. It keeps all of the brand's retailers happy and it keeps the perceived value of the brand higher because now it's still a thousand dollar phone or whatever it is. So we do the same thing when we're working with different brands. We want ones that do have these pricing policies so you don't get into this this bidding war till someone's making, you know, 5% profit margin. Um, What we do to kind of get creative and work around that a little bit is incentivize people to choose us over maybe five other stores selling the same thing. So one thing we do there is include bonus offers. So let's just say we were selling a $1,200 standup desk. We might say, okay, if you order from us, we're going to include a free, you know, wrist rest or a free, um, like monitor arm stand and maybe something that'll cost us $20 and, but it'll allow us to still sell it map and get a sale that might make us, you know, $400 net profit. So that's a a creative thing that that we do to get a, to get around the pricing policies and to get more people to choose our stores over everybody else. You have the free little gift with purchase. And then you also can play with your shipping because you don't pay. Yep. Exactly. Charge any shipping for that. And then Mm -hmm. that takes away the Amazon barrier at the same time so that you're not looking at people like me who are Amazon Prime shoppers and like, I'm going to get it for free to get to my And one other thing, if anybody is, you know, going to listen to this and they want to sell like bigger and um, like large and heavy items, um, one thing that you can also do, assuming again, the products are expensive enough and your margins allow, but most companies, when they sell something like, you know, huge desk, they offer free shipping, but they offer free curbside delivery, it's called. And what happens there is literally like the customer will get a phone call from some random delivery trucking service and they'll say, Hey, we're outside and they'll lower this thing and just leave it like in the street. Right. And a lot of people don't know that's going to happen when they order, but that's usually how it works. So again, if you, if your margins allow, you can offer free white glove delivery, which first of all, sounds fancy, but there's also a huge incentive because it's the items brought into the customer's home, the box is taken away. So something like that, maybe it costs you as the retailer, 
an extra $100. But if it's bringing you sales all day that again, are making you four or $500 net profit, it's a big way to stand out and capture a, a ton of market share. Right. And really you're looking at any way to stand out from competition. Exactly. And, or you're paying for advertising in order to stand out from competition. One of the two. Yep. yep. And ideally okay. both. Do, you know, do like as much as possible. Like there's, you get little lifts from all of those things. So the more you can do just the, you know, the, the more you'll grow. Okay. What about email marketing? You and I were talking about that a yeah. little bit earlier before we started the podcast. What yep. are the do's and don'ts there? Sure. So um, the, 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 like the do's are, first of all, just do it. Um, it's, it's one thing, you know, I, I always heard when I was first starting out, like, oh, there, money's in the list. You need an email list. And I don't know why I just never collected emails besides when people bought from me and they like had to give their email address. And um, maybe after like three or four years in business, I finally was like, okay, I'm going to put, you know, little things on my website that will collect email addresses in exchange for coupon codes, things like that. And almost as soon as I did it, and started sending emails, like I just noticed making a lot more money for not doing anything else, um, relatively not doing anything else. So at this point, uh, email marketing makes up about 30 to 40% of our revenue. And that's like on top of what it would be if I just did things the old way, which was, you know, collect emails when people buy or when they start the abandoned cart process. But now we actively collect emails at all different stages on our website. And not just that, but we have different email campaigns that are automatically going out based on where the person is at in our, our sales funnel, like where they're at in the, the buying cycle. And doing that not only has new leads become customers, but it has existing customers that would have just forgotten about us, buy from us, you know, at this point, some even five years later, because they're still on the email list. So um, one thing I would say like that people shouldn't do if they want to get into email marketing is just email everybody the same message. Again, this might be something people have heard, but segmentation really is huge. And it's about the message matching up with where the person is at. And if you can get that right, again, it could all be done automatically, but if you can get that right, that's where you start to see massive returns, even if your email list is relatively small. Sure. And then are you using like a MailChimp or a constant contact or something like that in order to manage your mail list? For our, uh, for our e-commerce businesses, for our physical product businesses, we use Klaviyo, which is a, it's an app that integrates with Shopify. And for like our info stuff and general marketing, we use Infusionsoft. But um, yeah, when people come in, regardless of if it's like an info business or a physical product business, we use the same campaigns. So um, one easy one that I would recommend everybody do when somebody opts into their email list is have um, what we call an initiation campaign. And what that does is send three emails over three days that are just trying to form a relationship. So new person's on the list. You have to assume they don't know your company yet. They don't know you yet. So what we do is just try to like, you know, provide like a few facts, but do it like in a fun way and then try to provide some useful stuff that would benefit them. If it's a physical product, it's either like a buying guide or just a coupon code or reminding them that they might get this bonus. If it's a info business, then we're doing stuff like sending them to some of our best resources where they can get value. And even if you just do that, like there's no direct selling involved, mm -hmm. but your chance of them coming back and buying something is still just massively increased. So that's an easy win that, again, I neglected for a long time. That's awesome. And I know you've mentioned Shopify a couple of times. So you would always build an e-commerce site on Shopify versus WordPress. Yeah, yeah, definitely. At this point, when I was starting, you know, it was Yahoo stores back then, and we've used all different platforms um, over the years. But for the past, 
maybe four or five years, maybe even more, Shopify is the, uh, is the winner. Um, that's assuming you don't have some like what I would call enterprise level store that has 200,000 products. Right. Um, if that's the case, then you probably want like Magento or something custom. But for almost everybody, Shopify, they are the best right now. So if you become Ikea, you need to maybe upscale yourself. Right. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. So where does some of this all go wrong? What are some of the mistakes people make along the way? Yeah, with e-commerce in general, I really do think it's that those inexpensive products, um, I, I, really, I, I consider that anything under $200. If your goal is to have, let's just call it a $50, you know, whatever, $50 widget, and your goal is to build your website and run ads and be profitable, it's extremely hard because traffic isn't cheap. Even like, you know, this, this long tail uh, keyword traffic, like you still have to pay for it. So if you're only making, let's say you didn't pay for advertising and after a cost of goods sold and shipping and merchant fees, you were making like $20 an order. I don't understand how anybody could really effectively drive in, you know, sales by paying for it and not in a way that would, you know, make them cash flow positive in a short amount of time. So the, the biggest thing that I would say is just focus on these expensive products because if you're making 300, 400, 500, a thousand dollars every time you get a sale, you have so much more wiggle room to, you know, experiment with buying traffic, to be able to scale your ad budget, to be able to bring on a team when support picks up. Because again, with those, those low ticket products, what will happen is hopefully you get a bunch of sales, right? Maybe you do something like with an influencer and they send you an insane amount of orders in a few days. Well, if there's nobody there to actually take care of these people when they're emailing in and to make sure problems are resolved, then the business is going to crash and burn. And uh, again, a lot of times the margin with those low ticket products doesn't really allow for a team. So as you grow, you need help. And um, having that margin built in allows for that. So I would say that's another big one. And then when it comes to traffic and paying for it, um, what a lot of people want to do now is just go straight to Facebook as an ad channel. And I love it. Like we use Facebook, spend a ton of money there on ads. It works great, but it's not the easiest win. So if you were just like starting out or just starting out with paid traffic and you were selling physical products, my advice would be do not start there. Start with something that is intense-based. So like Google, where you can get people that are searching for what you have. And the, the chances of them buying are so much more likely than you just you know, sticking in front of them on Facebook and being like, right. hey, I have this thing. So yeah, that, that would be another big mistake I see people um, start with. Yeah, I think the rule of thumb is that there's somewhere around 3% of people are actually in the buying mood at any one mm -hmm. time. So if you're only targeting that 3%, you're going to have a lot more of a chance yep. than the 100%, the 97% that aren't quite ready yet. Mm-hmm, definitely. Awesome. That is super helpful. Anything else our listeners should know about that would be helpful? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, if you're looking to add e-commerce onto your business as like an additional revenue channel, it's something it, it's worth considering no matter like what business you're in. Um, not only are the margins great, especially again, if you're focusing on more expensive products, but when you do this over time, as you build it up and start to have this revenue coming in, um, these businesses become very valuable assets. So uh, we've been selling websites 
since I think 2012 is the first time I sold like a network of stores. And back then it was just because a business partner and I were like talking about buying each other out. So we were like, oh, let's, you know, we don't know what this is worth. Let's talk to a broker. And we were like, what? So these, these are very valuable. The valuations on e-commerce businesses has only went up year over year since then. And there's a lot of people looking to buy them. So, um, you know, add it onto your business, start to earn some extra money. And then if you ever want to sell even just that part of your business, you can, have another really good payday from it. That's awesome. That's really helpful. I can think of so many businesses where this would be such a good add-on for them, Mm -hmm. whether it is a doctor's office who wants to be able to add in some sort of specialty equipment for people or even, you know, any sort of retailer as well, because it doesn't have to be their own branded items. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And if they have their own branded items, this is something that we do as well, but you can build another store. Let's just say you sold, I don't know, you sold like makeup remover and you wanted to build a website that was all makeuprememovers.com. You can list the other 30 brands and then have your brand listed there as well. And you get traffic from every other brand that people are searching for, but on your website, you know, on your sidebar in your best sellers, you have yours being the one that you're promoting the heaviest. Right. So people still will buy the others, but you can also, again, capture that traffic and be heavily promoting yours to, to the audience. So it's a, it's a great way to bring in extra sales if you have an existing physical product company already. That's brilliant, actually. So that you can yeah, really actually well. get some insider information that you want to have also on yep. the marketing habits of what's going on with your competition. Yep. You know, you see what people are searching for. You see what they're buying. You see what questions they're asking, what they like, what they don't like. So it's a really good way to earn money and get data at the same time. And then do you stay away from Amazon with all of this completely? We do. And that's because like, what I say is like, if I had, let's say like a a, a product, maybe sub a hundred dollars that we sold through our own websites, then I would have it on Amazon. Like I would have that as a sales channel, but the type of stuff that we do and the brands that we sell for, even when we're getting approved and we're signing those papers, they say like, you're not going to sell through any third party sales channels. And usually it calls out Amazon and eBay specifically. So even if we wanted to, they would tell us no. Um, because yeah, I don't think they want, you know, 20 companies selling the same thing there, but not part of our business at this point. That makes sense. And then I know you mentioned some of the casualties of war that have happened with partnerships and drop shipping out of China, as an example, right? But are there any other countries that are more successful or less successful to partner with? Or should you really try to be drop shipping that it's easier within the U.S. if you're in the U.S. or in Australia? Yeah, exactly. That's usually what I recommend. You know, we have suppliers in the US and we have uh, members of our community in the UK. They have suppliers in the UK. Um, Same thing, yeah, Australia, New Zealand, it's all local. With that being said, just to like, you know, clarify, because people have thought like, I mean, products that are made in the US and, you know, that's not what I mean. The products are usually made in China anyway. They're just already in the US in somebody's warehouse with their brand name. And so, yeah, just as long as they're already near you, um, that's what you want. That's the faster shipping times. That's usually brands that already have some equity built up and that have better support for retailers like us. Okay. That's awesome. Okay. So you have given us so much valuable insight and information and I'm walking away here ready to open up stores. I'm not, I don't have the time and bandwidth right now, but really, really you've made it sound that it is doable for someone to do if they invest the time in it. And you have a course that you Mm -hmm. can provide more detail, which I can't even imagine that there's more detail, but you have more valuable insight. Can you share with our listeners how to find that? 
Yeah. If you go to um, dropshiplifestyle.com, so dropshiplifestyle.com slash marketing mistakes, we'll post up a bunch of resources there you can go through. I've been posting you know, content up there since 2013. So a lot to go through. You could see the course, see some free training. And uh, that's where I would recommend anybody that wants more info, get started. Perfect. And then we'll also put that on our um, blog and, and podcast page as well so that they'll be in the show notes. So you can go there if you're listening and not writing as you're driving or walking or doing whatever you might be doing while you're listening. And, you know, Anton, I want to thank you so much for your time today. It was incredibly valuable. And thank you. All of our listeners, I want to thank you guys for listening and stopping by Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I hope that we have helped shed some light on how you can make more money and save some time.